Welcome back to the third hour of the KPK Outdoor Show. I'm Bob Sims. Saturdays, 5 to 8, right here on KFBK, 1530 AM and 93.1 FM. Well, just a few short years ago, an organization started called the NorCal Guides and Sportsmen's Association. And they wanted both guides and sportsmen's because... Uh, one or the other doesn't cut it. Everybody is equally concerned about our resource. Uh, there's always been decisions that have been detrimental to uh, the resources of California. And they were going to try to make a difference on the positive side for everybody. And they did. They grew very, very rapidly. They're, they're, uh, everybody's really a fan of them. Uh, they, they try so hard to work with Oregon. They're not fighting them. They're working with they even went so far as to hire a, uh, a lobbying group called Smith Policy Group, which uh, tend to lean toward outdoor-oriented clients. Well, Mark Smith is part of that, and, uh, and Mark joins us now uh, to talk about yesterday's Fish and Game Commission meeting. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, Bob. How are you doing? Hey, thanks for taking the time to do this. This is important to a lot of people. Sure. Totally understand. Happy to be here. Yeah. First of all, uh, the commission uh, voted four to zero to to pass basically a non-management of striped bass, although they left the limit intact and the size limit intact. Um, first of all, it was four zero. You mean to tell me we were missing a commissioner again for an important meeting like this? Yeah, one of the most recently appointed commissioners, Samantha Murray, from the San Diego area, was not in attendance at yesterday's meeting. Interesting, because at the same meeting, she was approved as vice chair of the commission for this year going forward. So mm-hmm. uh, we had we had less than a full house, but you're correct. It was a unanimous decision. What the commission did yesterday was actually adopt a brand new policy on Delta Fisheries Management, and then they significantly changed the strike bass policy, which has been around since 1996. And I think, you know, both of those are causing some concern this morning for recreational anglers, particularly those who like to fish for striped bass. Yeah. Uh, well, it, it's like, um, first of all, that same commission mandated the Department of Fish and Wildlife to uh, maintain a level of, uh, I think, 1.1 million stripers in the Delta which they never did, which I find very, very interesting. And then uh, they their most recent estimate is 250 to 300,000 stripers. And then it's pretty obvious that the commissioners didn't use one very valuable resource before coming to a conclusion, and that was the fishermen, because there's no stripers around. Yeah, I mean, we should talk a little bit about how the commission made its decision. It's a little frustrating. I would love to commission... take, okay. you, take it away, Mark. I, I want to hear this. I'm, I'm really interested in this. Well, it's a little frustrating. We feel that the commission made a decision to change the strike bass policy without first doing some real science and developing some real data, right? Um, your listeners may be aware that last year the legislature passed a bill to ban bobcat hunting. And what they did there was first they passed the ban, and then they said, go do the management plan. And the Fish and Game Commission was with us in opposing that. We said, let's do the science first before we talk about a ban. And in this case, 
they've done the exact opposite thing again. They've taken the action, and then they say, well, in the future we might go forward and do the study. We might determine how many fish we have, and but we got to come up with the money first. And I think that's what's frustrating to us. Is, well, well, they've done that you know, we before. Went, yeah, it, you're right. You're right. This is not something that is brand new. Um, but, again, it's frustrating, right? We, we want decisions to be made on sound science. And um, in this case, we feel like, it was perhaps overlooked. And I want to, I want to recommend, I, I want to commend the recreational fishing community. They brought eminent scientists like Peter Moyle and David Ostrock uh, and Cynthia Ledoux Bloom. I mean, we packed those commission hearings for months with notable eminent scientists on this issue. And I, I just think it got lost somewhere in the translation and, and that's frustrating. Well, I, wait, wait a minute. I don't think it got lost. Uh, I mean, the, all the commissioners were there to hear all the testimony. The best scientists in the world were saying that the stripers have been there long. They're part of the ecosystem. The real gamble is what happens if you take them out of it, if I'm not mistaken. You know, stripers, according to the scientists we brought in, are indicators of the overall health of the delta and the other species. And so the fact that striper populations are crashing I mean, we know that salmon populations aren't doing well. Stripers are not the limiting factor on salmon. That's been made very clear. Yeah. But stripers indicate that the overall health of the delta isn't good. And, um, you know, I think that, you know, the department, I want to give them credit. I want to give the Fish and Game Commission and the department credit for hosting a series of stakeholder workshops and allowing this issue to be presented multiple times at the Fish and Game Commission. Let's talk to your listeners about exactly what happened yesterday. The one thing that didn't happen yesterday, the commission did not approve a bigger bag limit or reduce the size limit. Those are actions that would directly negatively impact the striped bass mm -hmm. um, population. But what they did do was they walked away from a numeric target, a target that allows us to measure success uh, towards reboosting this population and we walked away from some pretty significant language language that directed the department to restore and enhance a fishery and instead now we are monitoring and managing a fishery and so if i'm a recreational angler in the state of california i want my fishing game commission to have a policy of improving all the recreational fisheries particularly these last really vibrant fisheries that attract a lot of people to the sport and, you know, we've got tournament fishing in the Delta. We've got striped bass fishing up on the Sacramento and the Feather, as you know. And when the department tells you in January to go buy a fishing license, two of the top five reasons they tell you to buy a fishing license in the state of California is to go fish for striped bass and black bass. So yeah. it, it, it just doesn't seem to resonate, the action that happened yesterday and how the department talks to the recreational angler about opportunity in California. Well, first of all, the department in 1996, when the commission stated that they wanted this minimum number, never did one thing about that. In fact, the first thing they did is got rid of what they called the Section 10 permit that allowed the planting of stripers. So the, the fish and game worked exactly against the commission's mandate. So we're really not losing anything there. I think it's it's. I think the fear is in what we might lose from this point on. I 100% agree with you. I mean, your li your listeners need to know that for the last several decades, the department really hasn't invested a lot in striped bass, and that's one of the reasons why we've seen the decline. 
And, and there are arguments to have about whether the department should have been doing more. Um, the reality is, is they don't have enough funding and they, by law, have to prioritize these listed species like salmon. And I know that as recreational anglers, we want healthy salmon populations, too. You know, we want it all. And honestly, we deserve it all. I think your point is well made, though, and I think what we need to be worried about is what happens going forward. And the proponents of this measure are large agricultural interests in the San Joaquin Valley and the big water districts down in Southern California. You know, if Mm -hmm. if they can fix the fisheries problem and take more water down to the south part of the state, that's really what they're after. They're not after the health of the Delta. Yeah, no, no. yeah, you know, I this hate to be I hate, one for them. I, I, hate, I, I hate to be crude about it. They just don't care. They care about one thing: getting themselves water. So that's what we're up against, and that's a difficult. I mean, we're the good guys. We try to play fair. We're playing against guys that don't play fair. <laughs> well, I heard it at the top of the news hour. You heard the state has sued the feds over what yeah. are called these new biological opinions on mm-hmm. fisheries health and. I think what we have to do as a community is we have to continue to stick together. We've got to monitor the situation. We have to make sure now that they don't change the bag limits. And we have to try to come up with proactive ways to try to increase the striped bass and black bass population. And I want to commend your listeners, some of whom who attended these Fish and Game Commission meetings, I want to commend them. We had turnout at these meetings of over 150 recreational anglers at certain meetings. We had people drive all the way up to Reading to provide public testimony. That room was packed. Yeah. It, it it makes it makes me feel good to see the community come out and do that. And I want to apologize to them that this didn't go 100 percent the way that yeah. we wanted. But I know that NorCal Guides and the other partners we worked so hard on this, and and we're not giving up the fight on it. Yeah. Hey, Mark, could I ask you to hold on through the break? We need to finish up with just a, one or two quick things. Would you mind holding on? I'll be right here. We'll be back with Mark Smith right after this. Right now, I want to tell you about Collins Lake. You know, Collins Lake, this is the time of year to get a primo campsite. In fact, we talked earlier to uh, Lincoln Young about that. And, uh, you know, lakeside campups with hookups, the whole works. Of course, they've got the overflow area. They've got the unimproved. If you want to get out and be, be by yourself, they've got just about everything you could want if you're a camper. But here's something else. You know, up at Bullard's Bar, a lot of people go up there to fish for kokanee and the spotted bass this time of year. And they have a campground, but it's a forest service campground. You never know when it's open. It's not open now. And even when it is open, they don't have hookups. So a lot of people stay at Collins Lake where they do have hookups, and it's a 20-minute drive. That way they got access to two different lakes. Collins Lake is there for you. Boat rentals available, a great store, the whole works. Simply go to collinslake.com or call them at 800-286-0576. Welcome back. Welcome back. We are talking to Mark Smith of the Smith Policy Group on behalf of the NorCal Guides and Sportsmen's Association. Mark is a lobbyist for them and for us, I might add, and was at the, the meeting yesterday, the Fish and Game Commission. Mark uh, one, one thing that bothers me is this, is that all the scientific evidence produced over these series of meetings of, at which the commissions promised to make decisions and then delayed again and again and again, uh, all this, the, the, the credible science that was produced was done by people that think 
think that stripers are not a factor here. I mean, it, it's it's a. I think Peter Moyle said it best. You get rid of one predator, another predator will take its place. And we all know about squawfish, which is a native species that eat millions of stripers so or or, or salmon. So. How could this, the commission make a decision like this when all the scientific evidence said just the opposite? Yeah, you know, we've got pike minnow that do the same thing. I'll tell you what the biggest predator of salmon is, and it's that's those pumps that are on the sure south side of the delta, yeah, right? It's, yeah. it's, not even, it's not even the native fish or the other species. And, um, you know, the commission, like anything else, is inherently uh, a political body. They are appointed by governors. Um, they serve at the will of the governor. They have a tough job. Um, I want to commend uh, Commission President Eric Sklar. You know, he, he takes our phone calls. He'll engage in dialogue with us. Uh, in this case, you know, they, they, didn't, they didn't decide to support what we were putting forward as a policy, but Let's be clear, the commission is a political body, and, and the nature of the commission has changed over time. Um, as the number of hunters and anglers in the state of California decline, and we see that reflected in uh, our commission, and I think we see that reflected in some of the values uh, that, that we all hold dear uh, across the state, and, and that's really challenging. I, we have to do better as a community uh, and support people who – uh, are lifelong hunters and anglers, and and see things the same way we do. Yeah, you know it, it's and the way they c- came up with it just arouses suspicion when they when they come out and they say, well, we've already made our you know this is supposed to be a public process, and they made it a private process, and everybody's going to be suspicious. And now the Fish and Game Commission has fallen into the same category quite frankly, is the Department of Fish and Wildlife, and especially the Department, the State Department of Water Resources after the Orville fiasco. Nobody believes anything they say, and I'm afraid the commission has just fallen into that same category. Well, I, I think it is pretty easy to take a negative view of them right after yesterday's action happened. I, I do want to make clear well, to you they deserve it. That, that they, they deserve it. <laughs> But I want to make clear to your listeners that the Fish and Game Commission did set up a number of meetings, and we've been talking about this issue for quite some time. Do I wish that they had listened to us and taken some stronger language on the the need to restore and enhance these populations? 100% absolutely. But let's recall that the original petition that came to the Fish and Game Commission in 2016 was a proposal to reduce the size limit and increase the bag limit, which would have killed the population in about three years. And so I give the commission credit for walking away from that proposal. Now, doing what they did yesterday is not ideal, but I think we've got to work going forward to make sure that at the end of the day, it's these bag limits that, you know, the proponents of the measure came forward with in 2016 that we never go down that road. Yeah. Now, listen, here's another question. Uh, Several years ago, and I'm not sure who, and I would like to know who, made the agreement with, I think, Westland's Water District, if not other uh, uh, water diverters, that if they could produce more salmon, they could divert more water. And one of the ways they agreed was to is to lobby against stripers. I mean, the Coalition for a Sustainable Delta, who's funded by the Resnick's, 
and it's a it's a uh, farming political body <clears throat> with not much credibility because they, they, they some of the the things that they have come out with are just totally untrue. But here we have money to be made by people by getting rid of the stripers, and I want to know if this decision is going to allow the pumps to put more water south, like was promised to the uh, the water groups. You know, that's a great question. The, the Fish and Game Commission decision yesterday won't have any impact on how the pumps operate and how much water goes south. That is part of the lawsuit that the state just filed against the federal government for these biological opinions. Yeah. And I think, you know, the agricultural guys do have one thing right. If we can get salmon numbers up, then, you know, we can talk about the health of the Delta and we can talk about the balance of water. But the first thing we need to do is fix those species. And I, I think that they, they fully understand that. But, no, let's make clear to your listeners that this action by the Fish and Game Commission won't affect water deliveries. But, you know, that's part of the problem, right? The Fish and Game Commission doesn't really engage in the process, the conversation that takes place in California about how water is managed. They just sit here and they create a fisheries policy. If the Fish and Game Commission really wants to make impacts and improve fisheries, they need to get themselves out there. They need to talk to their sister agencies like Department of Water Resources that manages the water in the state of California. And they need to be a more proactive voice on behalf of the recreational angler. And so we're hoping that the Fish and Game Commission will step up in the future and do more of that. Well, Mark, uh, I'm sure we're going to be talking about more of this in the, in the future. There's going to be some things coming down. I'm not sure what, but uh, this this is a big decision. I think everybody is very, very afraid that it might lead to other decisions, maybe subtle things that, uh, like you said, maybe the... the, the uh, a smaller length limit, maybe an additional fish to the overall limit that that's not warranted now with a minimum of stripers. So uh, anyway, we've got a lot of questions ahead. I sure appreciate your efforts on behalf of not only the NorCal Guides and Sportsmen's Association, but all of us, and uh, we'll see what the next round brings. Well, I want to thank you for having me on, and uh, I don't think it's any surprise to your listeners that sometimes – you know, the values we hold as anglers and hunters are under attack in California. You know, we saw that with a ban mm -hmm. in the legislature. We've got new bills this year. We see it through some of these actions at the, at the Fish and Game Commission sometimes. And now more than ever, uh, the sportsman's voice is important. And so I know your listeners appreciate that. Again, I want to thank those people who came out to the commission and made their voice heard. And I do want to let them know that, you know, we're not done fighting and working on these issues, and uh, we appreciate their support. Appreciate your support, too, Bob. Mark, thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Mark Smith of Smith Policy Group. Not such good news. Okay, after the break, we will talk to Mr. Gary Coe. Welcome back, welcome back. Now as I try to cool down, <laughs> the perfect person to do that is Mr. Gary Coe, president of Kokanee Power. Good morning to you. It's good to know I'm good for something, huh? Oh, God, we finally found something, huh? <laughs> yeah. Good Good morning, Bob. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's something that uh, 
that uh, you know bothers me deeply because, as Mark Smith said, the Fish and Game Commission has been has become a political body. They now they cannot be trusted. You know they were bordering on that anyway. They've always been, had one or two commissioners that uh, have been in question about how they have been influenced, shall we say? But now I think it's just more than that. I think it's just bad judgment. And like Mark said, they're gonna they're gonna impose a law first and then study it. And the commission has done that before. The new generation of commissioners tend to have it, uh, a habit of doing it. It's like. We'll do it our way, no matter what you want. And quite frankly, I'm disillusioned and very disappointed. I just do you lost... think they're being, being directed in that direction? Are, are they being told to act like that, or I think of their I, own volition? I don't know exactly how it's coming down. There is obviously a degree of influence they are feeling. That's about. <clears throat> I, I I know that's that's a kind of a cop out, but it's it's true. And some, sometimes I think they put it on themselves. Here you have five people with really no training in fish and wildlife management, and basically they're telling us they're going to reinvent the way the commission manages the fish and wildlife. Well, that makes me a little nervous. <laughs> and it also lends itself well to being directed. Yeah, well, there is no direction. You know where it's not coming from. Yeah, the Fish and Game or the Fish and Wildlife Service. It, it, it's, uh, it's really important. You, you know who made a, a statement on behalf of the Fish and Game Commission, even though she isn't part of the commission? is Jordan Traverso, Chuck Bonham's right-hand person in the Department of Fish and Wildlife. What's that all about? <laughs> these people, these, I can just see these people getting together. Uh, I mean, just almost like, what, whatever you do, don't ever, ever let me have a beer with any of these people. <laughs> no, no. So listen, you got a big dinner coming up three weeks from today. Got to flip channels here. Give me a second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yes, we do. We've got a, you know, our annual fundraising banquet is, uh, it's becoming known to be the place to go, and we're and we're we're trying to put on a, a over the top good one this year, and I think it's going to be fun, and it's only a couple of weeks away. Yeah, and uh, three weeks, isn't it? March fourteenth, I think that is three weeks yeah, from today. Yeah. yeah, and it's once again down at the California Automobile Museum at twenty two hundred Front Street. It's our twenty second annual dinner. Just um, mm. just unbelievable. Yeah. No host cocktails at 5. The dinner begins at 7. And you know what we've got. Uh, once again, the people at the museum are going to keep a couple of docents there. They're all volunteers mm-hmm. anyway. And even though the museum closes as we open, they're going to keep them there late. If if people want to come in and look at the cars for a while before that's start, getting more popular every year too. Oh yeah, yeah. But it's it's included in you know you can go in look around uh, and spend a little time look a lot. There are a lot of very nice cars in that museum. That's a it's a great museum and and you know I was involved early on not not with the museum but with people that were involved in that. They were all very passionate so and their yes. work is is showing now so and they're starting to you know they're they're rotating different groups of cars in there so you can go in it right now and and then go in it in a month or two and it'll be a different museum it'll have different cars in it so listen i want to i want to jump ahead here uh 
Um, This is a very popular dinner. I mean, moving it to Sacramento was a great deal. Um, I I think it benefited more people. It's going to make it hard on some people that live down south, but um, it just seems to have worked out. The dinner grows every year. Yeah. You have a capacity of close to 300. You're almost sold out. And to, we have a fire safety limit of 298. Yeah. And that's total number of people. Yeah. As of yesterday, we had 264. Yeah. Well, and, and we've today. Got three to, weeks to go. Now, listen, today, isn't today the last day you can get in on the early bird drawing? We have an early bird drawing that is it's actually tomorrow. But, but the post office don't do much tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, you know, well, they don't do too online. much any other time either, but they just do far less tomorrow. <laughs> Here we go again. <laughs> uh, you, uh, well, we're in the mood to criticize. I mean, well, yeah. nobody's immune. <laughs> yeah. So, But at any rate, you can go online. We have PayPal, uh, uh, PayPal now. Uh, or you can make a phone call if you have to call me. Give me a, a call, but we are going to have to cut it off around two eighty five because that two ninety eight includes the workers that are there. You know, the bartenders, the waitresses, uh, the, the people that are cooking. So, uh, if you want to go, give me a call. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to get in on the early bird specials, you better call today or tomorrow, or go online and sign up. If it's done with tomorrow, today or tomorrow's date, it'll it will work. If it's yeah. postmarked today or tomorrow, it'll work. Yeah. You know, we're not trying to figure out a way not to yeah. help people. Sure, sure, okay. And we've got the same. We've got we have a houseboat at Bullish Bar this year that complements of Emerald Cove Marina. Uh-huh. Very nice of them. We've got guided trips, lakes, rivers, blue water. We're doing a special guided trip. That is a two-part deal. We're going to uh, Kokanee Power of Oregon is giving us a trip up there, a guided trip that we're going to have at our uh, uh, banquet, and then they're going to have their dinner up there, and we're going to give them a California guided trip and bring some California, bring some Oregon Kokanee Power people down here. Okay. So we had to have a little fun. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I will give everybody your number to close with this interview right now, though. Um, uh, um, fishing, you've been hearing a few things. Uh, Shaver Lake is one. They're catching some coconut. Of course, we know about Bullard's Bar. Uh, Whiskey Town is a hit or miss. It just hasn't got its 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 traction going yet. Yeah, yeah. Well, it really came on this week. I talked to Kirk Porter Carrero, and he said that they were limiting the last three or four days with fish up to 15 inches at Whiskey Town, hmm. which is very good news. I don't know if it'll hold. I think it'll continue to be on again, off again, you know, for another couple of months. This is only February, yeah. <laughs> you know, but yeah. a 14 or 15-inch kokanee anywhere this time of year is something. Hmm. And and then you've already talked about uh, Pardee, the smaller small fish, but they are in fantastic shape, and there are lots of them, and they're all over the lake. So I'm looking forward to a good year there. Yeah. Well, well, you we're know. you know um, we should uh, talk about also uh, eventually, not today because we don't have time. That this is a year that uh, is a down year because going back two years, it was yeah. the third year in a row that the kokanee management portion of the Department of Fish and Wildlife totally screwed everything up. 
I mean, really. I I mean, if people only knew how bad, they just wouldn't even believe it. And the same people are doing the same thing. Last couple of years have been good, so we gotta we gotta give them credit for that. But but uh, we also had a good rain year, so we we've got uh, some natural production to look forward to, and just to see how much of an effect. Because if we catch lots of kokanee, it didn't come from the Department of Fish and Wildlife; it came from nature. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and, and we're seeing evidence of that right now. There was two years, two years ago, the, the year you were just chatting about, we put fish in two lakes, Berryessa and Stampede. Everything else at every other lake this year is going to be because of natural reproduction. Yeah. Yeah. It's just phenomenal. Yeah. You know, and the, and the best kept secret in the country right now is Don Pedro. They're catching nice rainbows, kings, and kokanee out of Don Pedro yeah. Yeah. right now. I mean, I just think that's great. And and the people that are fishing unconventionally are doing better on the kokanee than the conventional guys. Yes. Yeah. It's a good time to think outside the box. Yeah. Okay, Gary. Hey, thank you very much. And we'll uh, let me know how the uh, sales go by next week. If we'll, we'll mention it again unless you're sold out. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, here's a number to call if you want to get in on the early bird or just get a ticket to this dinner. 916-985-4943. Okay? When we come back, we'll talk about wide-open fishing at Lake Almanor. Welcome back. Welcome back. I talked to Brian Ricucci, Big Daddy's Guide Service, about Lake Almanor. Brian, the last we talked, you were out on a little scouting mission a couple of weeks ago up at Lake Almanor. And accidentally caught some fish. And you've been booking with clients there ever since, like you normally do. I'm dying to hear how it's been. Well, uh, <laughs> it has been good. Just like the weather, um, the, the fish are on up there. And uh, we've just been, been putting on some phenomenal trips as of late uh, for some really quality fish, mix of browns and rainbows. Hey, uh, you know, it seems like every year is a little different at Almanor. Most lakes, really, but Almanor especially because uh, both with the abundance of fish, like maybe salmon or or maybe browns this time of year, and also size. And all of a sudden, it seems like the first thing out of your mouth is the quality of fish. Um, before we talk about how big and everything, what do you think causes that? I mean, we know it's loaded with pond smelt, but it always is, you know? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's pond smelt. There's that, that place is just a food factory, like a few other kind of trout destinations up in this neck of the woods. And, uh, I mean, I, I think, I think Almanor stands out kind of heads and tails ahead of a lot of places, uh, for quality in general. But um, but the grade of fish that, that are responding right now are, have been pretty good. I mean, we've kind of been struggling to catch anything under the three pound mark. You know, we we'll get an occasional we we'll get an occasional two two and a half pounder, but uh, but pretty much if it's if it's grabbing the lures right now, it seems like they're pretty much 21, 21 inch type fish and up, and nice fat healthy things. I mean, we've basically got fish in the whole range from from two and a half all the way up to almost nine pounds in the last few days. Oh my goodness! Yeah, yeah. I had a little, 
I had a 13-year-old on the boat yesterday, and this kid was a hot stick. I, I mean, he, this kid could fish. And uh, if, if a rod was even thinking about getting bit, he was on it, and he grabbed a hold of that thing and battled. That was one of the, one of the better battles I've seen in a while <laughs> in the real-life tackle with that huge brown. So wow. he, uh, he earned it, that, that's for sure. Thrill of a lifetime, huh? Oh, that's, I mean, I told him, I said, people fish their whole lives to catch a fish like that. Here you are at 13, you're setting the bar pretty high. Yeah. <laughs> it's not fair. Did you tell him it wasn't fair? <laughs> <laughs> That's Brian Ricucci, Big Daddy's Guide Service. He went on to say that he's using a, Reb, a Rapala-type lures in a size 11, and he's starting off with a top line, then dropping them down a little bit with the with the uh, downrigger, but not that deep, you know, maybe 10, 12, 15 feet. The rainbows are a little bit more out in open water. They're near the surface, down to about the same thing. He's using a few things, including the Arctic Fox trolling flies, okay? And Brian's number, 530-370-1001. We didn't have time to play an an art, uh, interview from Matt Mitchell's guide service about steelhead, but he did quite well fly fishing with indicators and egg patterns over on the main stem eel, including one fish approaching 15 pounds. He's back on the Trinity. He says, surprising, the Trinity is low and clear, has still got a whole bunch of fish, and they're catching them. You just have to use small stream tactics. He also said the Sacramento River, by Redding, is really undergoing a, a wonderful transformation into fishing with the low water and the insect hatches, and there's a lot of fish and some nice up 20-plus-inch fish being caught. These are wild rainbows. Talk to Marina Manager Dave Geyser at Pardee. Fishing is still good from the bank for trout. They're planting the lake. The trollers aren't doing quite as well. Bank fishermen are doing well. He went out kokanee fishing, found a ton of kokanee up in the river arms from 15 to 40 to 45 feet deep. Most of them are small. He said he caught two 13 inches, which were the biggest of the bunch. Uh, the rest of the limit out story, Bill McDaniel, that we had to cut short, well, there's been two 14-pound bass taken, one behind Rattlesnake Island, the other up at the north end of the lake, and the fishing is really going good now. The minnow bite is not as wide open as it was earlier, but it's getting there. Uh, a variety of baits are catching a variety of fish, but uh, it's getting better by the day. Uh, up at Davis Lake, there's still a little ice on it. There's also some open water. You might be able to get a small 12-footer in if you uh, it went to a particular ramp. And the rainbows, 18 to 20 inches. Huh. I think that's about it. Okay, we had fun. Have a good week, everyone.